Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Peace is this well-worn word in our vocabulary, and people use it in a lot of different ways to mean a lot of different things. And in 2020, peace is something that we're all longing for. But how do you get it? How do you get this peace? The world has a lot of answers for how you might gain this peace. Maybe for some personal peace, you might try meditating or breathing exercises or a new diet or get outside and get some fresh air or buy the latest thing to make your stressful life just a bit easier or maybe try a new lifestyle altogether to discover your true identity or just do whatever makes you happy. Is that how you find peace? Or as an article, uh, a recent article called 11 Ways to Find Your Inner Peace and Happiness Now says it, visualize your happy place. Serve others so you feel better and maintain good self-care hygiene. Is that how you find peace? But both you and I know that, that these things don't last. Maybe they make you feel good for a time, but you've got to keep coming back to them. So let's look at something different. Let's look at maybe some financial peace. Is that how you find peace? So maybe just earn enough money, uh, buy the right insurance, invest in the right things. But while those can be good and wise tools for honoring the Lord with your finances, we all know that that doesn't provide sufficient peace at the deepest level. And so lastly, how about some political peace? Is that what we all need? Let us just put our differences aside and come together under the right leadership. But as history tells us, even the best leaders often fail, and division is strong no matter who is in office. What's really interesting is that um, the passage we're about to read in Luke, the events took place during what was called the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace, which was this 200-year period that um, just kind of provided relative peace and economic prosperity that was attained by the Roman Empire. But again... It didn't last. Even the mighty Roman Empire came to an end, and this peace that it brought was broken. And here's the kicker to all of these things. And all of these things, at best, at best, they help you in this life only, and they don't even address your biggest underlying need. So here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the Bible has a totally different answer for how you find peace. And it's a peace that not only meets you in this life, but it's the only thing that can help you in the next life. So if you'll open up to Luke chapter 2, we're going to read our passage for today. We're focusing on really just one verse, Luke 2.14, but we're going to read some of the context just to help, help us understand it. So Luke 2, we're going to start in verse 8. This is the word of God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, 
and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels, uh, the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. As we look at this passage, I hope that we can, we can leave here answering three questions. And they're in your outline. The first question is, what on earth is peace on earth? The second is, who gets this peace and how? And the third is, what do you do with this peace? And so as we seek to answer those questions, let us pray and let us ask the Lord to help us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come before you in humble submission to your word. We know that your word is the true and lasting, abiding word. And we, we come before you and we ask that you would help us, that you would grant us understanding of what you have to say. Oh Lord, we, we praise you that you have given us your word, and we pray that it would be your word and not mine that would penetrate the hearts of everybody here by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so number one, what on earth is peace on earth? We're going to start here in the context of Luke 2 uh, to begin answering these questions, but we are going to jump around to some other passages uh, to get a broader biblical understanding. But let's, let's not first just gloss over this first statement from the angels. Right out the gate, they say, glory to God in the highest. So can you imagine this scene? A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. The word for host could also mean or translate as army. And so the, there's this army declaring the lordship of Christ that brings about peace. And there's a reason angels have to keep telling people not to be afraid. It's because their appearance is so glorious that it's absolutely frightening. And so when you multiply that by a whole army of angels, you can understand why the shepherds would be a little scared. But this is an epic worship service, if there ever was one. And this is a good pattern for us to take note of. The angels could have just come. They could have just come and delivered their message, the bare bones of it, and gone off into heaven. But such a wonderful message cannot be contained. And so before explaining what Christ accomplishes, the angels give God his due praise. And this is a call for us that praising God must be at the center of enjoying his benefits. And they praise God precisely because in Christ he brings peace on earth. But just like the song that Andrew just sang, there's a line in there. 
Maybe you look around and you're like, peace? Really? If Jesus came to bring peace, the world sure doesn't look like it's at peace. And if we stop at that phrase, we might get really confused. Because the angels aren't talking about just this general peace on earth. It's not referring to calm political relations um, or maybe not to cultural tranquility or even emotional self-serenity. It's not that kind of peace. So what kind of peace are the angels talking about? Or as maybe Charlie Brown might say, what on earth is peace on earth? Can anybody tell me? And before we nail that down, let's finish this verse because the last phrase actually really sheds a lot of light on how we can define this peace. And so it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That last phrase has been translated a few different ways, depending on what Bible you have in front of you, what translation. Uh, In the KJV, you might have it as, and on earth, goodwill to men, as we just sang. Or maybe if you've got an NIV, uh, on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Or maybe you've got an NASB or an ESV, on earth, peace among those or among people with whom he is pleased. So, any of those translation, what is clear is that this peace that God brings is related and connected to his favor upon people, or his pleasure upon people, or his goodwill towards people. But this peace primarily isn't a feeling, it is primarily a state of being, a state of receiving God's favor. And so this peace, as I hope to show you from scripture, is I'm just going to define it very, very simply. This piece is reconciliation with God from God. And that's the whole reason Christ came. To reconcile sinful people to a holy God. Or just as an extremely simple definition, peace equals reconciliation. And that's what the angels are doing here. They are proclaiming the gospel. And if you look back at verse 10, that's what they said they were doing from the start. We bring you good tidings. We bring you good news. The same word that's translated good news is the one we often translate gospel. So these angels are proclaiming the gospel and praising God. And the good news is that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the implication of that good news is that God has brought peace on earth. And here's the kicker, not, not just to anyone and everyone, but only among those with whom he is pleased. And that begs the question, with whom is God pleased? Or said another way, how do you get this peace? Who gets this peace? Well, according to the angels, the recipients of peace, as we've already established, are those who have God's favor, those who possess God's pleasure. And so let's ask ourselves a really potentially difficult question. Do I, do you, deserve God's favor? Have we pleased him? And if we're truly honest with ourselves, uh, I think we all know the answer to that question. But just 
to provide a little bit of a mirror and let the Bible diagnose us, I'm going to read a few passages that, that many of you have probably heard, but this is what the Bible says about the human condition apart from Christ. I'm just going to read four passages here. Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Or Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? For I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Or Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And later in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe you're hearing that and you're thinking, that sounds a bit harsh. Sounds pretty rough. I mean, I haven't been that bad, have I? Messed up here and there, but I've generally been a pretty good person. I mean, even if you keep reading in Genesis 6, didn't Noah find favor with God? By God's sovereign grace, he did preserve his people through Noah. But even Noah wasn't perfect. And we can't forget James 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is become guilty of all of it. God requires perfection. That's what he requires. And none of us have been perfect. Even if we look good on the outside, just maybe take a minute to run a reel of your thought life over the last week. Do you measure up to God's standard of perfection? Though God had given his law to his people as a blessing and as a vehicle for worshiping him, one of the other things that the law did is it revealed how his people, apart from his grace, did not measure up to his standard. And they needed his grace. And every act of grace that God has done throughout all of history has been just a foreshadowing and a big arrow pointing to Christ, which is the ultimate and most fundamental showing of his grace. And so the reason that you need this peace, the reason that, that I need this peace, the big why, so we've got to establish the why before we establish the what, the big why is that without Christ, as the Bible says, we're considered enemies enemies of God because of our sin, that we are born in it. We inherit it from Adam, and it's passed down through the generations. And if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with sin every single day. Maybe you think enemy is a harsh word, but if you just think about it, peace. In order for there to be peace between two parties, at some point they have to have been not at peace. This just makes sense. Sometimes there, there are nations that war, and then at the end of the war, they sign a peace treaty, which signals that they are no longer at war. They were enemies, and now they're not. 
And as we read in Luke, at this point of redemption, redemptive history, in the dawn of Christ, peace, reconciliation, is clearer and it's nearer than ever before. The angels announced that the Savior, the one who would live, the one who would die and raise again, has finally come, since no human had ever achieved perfection. God would have to come down and do it himself. So again, we're defining peace. The peace proclaimed here by the angels is not just this general feeling of peace. It's not political harmony. This is the peace of reconciliation to those who have been reconciled from being God's enemy to being God's friend. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Just so you don't think I'm making this up, enemy is a biblical word related to our sin, and yet God comes to us even when we were yet enemies and makes us his friend. So Romans 5, we're going to read verses 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So here's the thing. If you you have God's favor, if God is pleased with you, It's not because you've been pleasing. It's not because you've given him a favorable reason to love you. If he's pleased with you, it's not because you're generally a good person. It's not because you read your Bible regularly. It's not because you serve in a soup kitchen or give money to charities. Not because you or I have done anything good to make him love us. How do you get God's favor? It's his sovereign good gift in Christ. God is only pleased. Here's the connection. God is only pleased with you. You only get into this among those with whom he is pleased camp if you are united to Christ because he is pleased with Christ. And then you get the benefit. If you just look at Luke 3, hopefully you are still got a finger in Luke 2. I'm going to open up just one chapter later and show you this. Luke 3, verses 21 and 22, use this exact same language about pleasure. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, With you, I am well pleased. So, if we're Christians, we never accept God. God accepts us on the merits of Christ. The only one who he's ever actually been genuinely pleased with. 
But the amazing thing about all this is that from before the foundation of the world, God freely, according to his own plan, bestows his pleasure in Christ upon all of those whom he calls his own. And this would be an activity, maybe you want to do this afternoon or one morning this week. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and go through and underline every time it says in Christ or in him or in the beloved. It's astounding. There's a lot of instances of it, and it's only one long sentence, verses 3 to 14. But I'd encourage you to do that because you can see how from before the foundation of the world, in Christ, God has given us pleasure to all those who he calls his own. And so his favor rests, his pleasure rests on all those who are in Christ, who trust in Christ, who have repented of their sin and believed in Christ with all their heart. Those people, and only those people, are objects of God's grace. You don't earn God's favor because you can't, and I can't either. It's only the people that Christ exchanges his righteousness for, our sin, he nails it to the cross, and we receive mercy. Because as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's where we stand. If you want peace, you need God's pleasure, according to the angels. If you want God's pleasure, you need Christ, according to a lot of passages in Scripture. (laughs) If you want Christ, you need faith. And faith is a gift from God. Faith means repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus. It means believing first that you need him. It means believing that he lived a perfect life. He actually earned God's pleasure because he was perfect. Believing then that he died the death that you deserved, paying the penalty for your sin on the cross. Believing again that he rose to new life and he defeated death and that he sits at God's right hand as, his, as our mediator. And believing that your life is not your own, but it's been purchased by the blood of Christ. Another recent article I saw summarizes the world's definition for peace like this. It says, inner peace is a state to be achieved and to be improved upon. A lifelong journey that requires a lifetime commitment. How burdensome is that? But Jesus says... I am your peace. You could never achieve it. So I did it for you because I've loved you from the beginning before the foundation of the world. And this peace that he brings, this peace that he is, it was not free. It may be free to you. It is free to you. But it was bought with the blood of Christ. This is a peace treaty, if you will, that was signed in blood, the blood of our Savior Jesus. And no, as this other article hints about peace, it can't be improved upon. This is a perfect peace that Jesus bought for us. And so let's just do a quick review. The first question is, 
what, it, what on earth is peace on earth? And so we define peace here as the reconciliation that God provides in Christ. And then the second question was, who, how do you get this peace? Who gets this peace? And we discovered that this peace only comes to those who are recipients of God's favor in Christ. And so let's look at a few passages that show us what to actually do with this peace. And the first one is you rest in it. You rest in it. We are to be grateful recipients of peace. This is, this is the first thing. This is the most amazing gift. Reconciliation with God is the most amazing gift we could ever receive. And it's the only thing that can truly sustain us in this life and carry us into the next life. Not as God's enemies, but as God's friends. Uh, open back up to Romans 5. Each one of these kind of applications I've got a passage connected with it so you can see where I'm getting these. Romans 5. So as grateful recipients of God's peace, we rest in it. And the first five verses of Romans chapter 5 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this peace that we're discovering this morning, this peace is the kind of peace that allows you to stare COVID-19 or any other danger in the face and not fear death or not fear a life of grief at the loss of a loved one. Though we encounter sufferings and struggles and tragedies in this life that scream for us to be anxious and worried and doubt God's goodness, peace with God is our ultimate ballast. One of my former pastors shared this analogy that's really stuck with me. Based on Ephesians 4, he said that growing and maturing in the Christian life is like increasing the size of your ballast. Do you know what a ballast is? It's this load of heavy-weighted material that's, pushed, that's put in maybe a, a, a vehicle or maybe a boat or a ship, and it weighs it down. It weighs it down so that it won't be tossed to and fro by the wind. And using that language in Ephesians 4, Paul's prayer for it is that the church would grow up in Christ's likeness so that they would not be tossed to and fro by the lies, by the wind of lies and deceit. And so the ultimate way to build up a strong and heavy ballast is by resting in the grace of God in Christ who gives you his peace. It is the thing that allows us to weather any storm. Number two, what do you do with it? Well, first you rest in it. Number two is that you apply it. Be agents of peace. Because peace with God leads us to peace with people. Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite chapters. Maybe you've read it recently. The first 10 verses um, are just a beautiful explanation of who we were before Christ, what God did in Christ, 
and who we are now in Christ. And then after that, the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, there's a big therefore that links the two, and it says, because that's all true, well, guess what? Because you have peace with God, now you can have peace with others. I'm going to pick up in verse 13, Ephesians 2, and read a few verses there. Because you have peace with God, now in Christ Jesus, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Underline this, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now this passage is directly addressing the, the division between Jew and Gentile in the day, but we can definitely we can apply this to our time now. All those who are in Christ who have received his peace can seek peace with other people. As grateful recipients of God's peace, we are called to pursue peace with others. Because peace with God is the foundation for why we can ever have peace with anyone else. Romans 12, 18 tells us, If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, to live peaceably with all. And so here's some questions for us to consider in such a divisive time as this. As the COVID-19 pandemic or as the 2020 presidential election how are you doing at pursuing peace? Would somebody characterize you as an agent of peace? Even when you disagree with someone, and this is where it's been really convicting for me this week, even when you would disagree with someone, are you willing to have a peaceful conversation where every word is marked by Christian love and every word reflects that you have the ultimate peace? that you have at peace with God, and therefore you can pursue peace with people? Are you treating them, if they're Christians, are you treating them like one who has also received peace with God? Or are you building up barriers between those who aren't like you, who don't have the same opinions as you, who don't have the same uh, ideas at how to fix all this stuff? But Ephesians 2 says, if Jesus has broken down the barriers to peace, let us not build them back up. It's no surprise that Paul goes on to begin every one of his letters with this greeting of peace. Because peace with God compels us towards peace with each other, and especially those of the household of faith. So the first one, what do you do with this peace? You rest in it. You're a grateful recipient of God's peace. The second thing is you apply it. You become an agent of peace. And the third thing is you share it as a minister of peace. 2 Corinthians 5, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21 says this exact thing.
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation, ministers of peace with a message of peace. So not only do we just live peaceably with others, but we also explicitly show them the gospel with our lives and tell them the gospel with our lips. Because non-Christians need to hear the gospel and Christians need to be reminded of it daily. So how about you? Do you have this peace? Are you at peace with God? Are you reconciled to God through Christ? If you're a believer, then yes, this peace is yours. And it's a perfect peace. And God does promise that there's a real tangible experience of this peace on earth that surpasses all understanding, Philippians 4. And so we take God at his word. We seek him daily. We cast all of our burdens on him. Our experience in this life, our experience because it's marred by sin, is not going to be a perfect experience of this peace, but underneath the surface in the heavenly realm. And when God looks at you, you are at peace with him. And so rest in that and be assured of that. But the stark truth is that not, not everyone, not everyone is at peace with God. When Jesus was riding into Jerusalem shortly before his crucifixion, he weeps over the people, saying this in Luke 19.42. He says, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. If you're not at peace with God, then your call today is to put your faith in Christ. Call upon his name for salvation and be reconciled to God. This is the only way to find true and lasting peace. Every other endeavor to find peace will be like putting a Band-Aid on a cancer patient. You have to treat the underlying sickness. You can't just treat the symptoms. And the sickness of the human condition is sin. And if you want this peace, you must be united to Christ who is the Prince of Peace. Because of Christ, there is peace on earth. We can have it. And as Luke 19 goes on to say, there is even peace in heaven because of what Christ has done. And one day, 
there will be the full expression of this peace in the new heavens, in the new earth, when Christ ushers it in. But right now we live in this already but not yet reality where we can rest in God's perfect peace, but yet we look forward to the day when it will come in its fullness. And so because of what Christ has done, because of what the angels have announced, we can say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, we praise you for this peace. We praise you for the work of Christ. We praise you that our deepest need has been met in Christ. And that if we are united to him, we get all the benefits of his perfect record. That if we are found in Christ, believing in him, trusting in him, then you look down on us, not as enemies, but with the pleasure and the favor that you look down on your own son with. Lord, would you help us to have this tangible experience of this perfect peace, but we know that even as we struggle day in and day out, even as we endure the hardships, that you have a purpose in them that you are making us to be what you have already declared us to be in Christ, and that is holy and righteous. And Lord, we long for the day when you will usher in this new heavens, this new earth, as your kingdom comes in its fullness. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And until then, help us. Help us to rest in your peace. And would your word here today, would it continue to do surgery on our hearts today and throughout this week as we submit to it and we live by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.